0: everyone and welcome to episode 38 of the Audience Please podcast with me your host Adam and what a special episode this is. It was an absolute honour to have Brian from the legendary band Red Fang on to chat and a quick shout out to Harris from Good As Gold Group for putting me in touch with Brian, Um, really appreciate it mate if you're listening um yeah so weirdly he's my first transatlantic guest on so uh did ask him a bit around um cutting your teeth in the u.s as a band and of course like u.s clubs and live music scene over there and what that's like um from his perspective um and of course we talked around their incoming new album arrows which is out next month and yeah if you're a red fang fan already uh trust me you will not be disappointed i've had it a couple of weeks now and yeah it's a it's a really solid album from from red fang um but yeah thanks for listening and if you're if you do enjoy this please make sure you subscribe and follow on all the platforms i've actually just just recorded another episode which i should have out next week um with a an, another top quality guest so keep your eyes peeled for that it was a, another really good chat um but yeah enjoy this episode and i will catch you next time bye How are you doing during these uh, particularly strange times and how have you been have you been coping the last few months mate is there is there anything that's been keeping you going through these weird times uh
1: you know i think the um the, my silver lining for the for the quarantine um and the lockdowns was uh was that i i you know i i've always just really despised the idea of you know computers or you know kind of the digital world you know invading my you know musical life and so
0: yeah
1: i you know i never learned to do any kind of recording or anything because i just i wanted it to be me and my guitar and uh leave it at that but now but the, you know the only way to make music you know was by myself for a year so <laughs> uh so anyway so i so i buckled I I knuckled down and I and I learned how to do um home recording. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm good at it or anything, but I got to a point where um it's a creative outlet for me and it's and it's it's I'm not shouting at the computer anymore. It's actually a friend of mine. So so that's nice. I did I've done a lot of home recording and um and that was, you know, I I'm I don't I'm not chomping to bit to become a solo artist or anything. But <laughs> But it is very liberating, you know, when, when the only person, you know, when, honestly, the only, the only person who's going to care, I don't, you know, I'm not writing music at home really for an audience. Um, yeah. Just whatever brings me happiness. And so it's been pretty liberating. You know, it's fun. Uh, like, you know what? This needs flutes. Lots of flutes. <laughs> and I, you know, and I can do that and no one's going to say, stop it.
0: Yeah, that's been it. Yeah, you don't have a ba- uh, You don't have band members looking over your shoulder going, Yeah, I, I'm not too sure about that bit. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah, yeah. There's it's funny you say that. There's a lot of like Falco from McCluskey who's been on this podcast before. He has his outlet, which is Christian Fitness, and uh. I very much get the same feeling from him. It's his own way of just going, ah, I don't care if it sounds like crap it, I'm just going to put it down on tape and put it out there and see if anyone listens to it. But yeah. What's, that's
1: what's, what's, what's Christian Fitness?
0: Yeah, so, so do you know McCluskey and like, uh, Future Left? So they're, they're pretty well-known uh, UK band. Um, yeah, Christian Fitness is uh, Falco's side project, I suppose. But yeah, okay. worth checking is out. It
1: ex- is it exercise music?
0: no no definitely uh, okay. not yeah it's yeah it's right like
1: you're like you you can get closer to jesus while working
0: on your abs <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i would love to hear that i mean if, if you're planning to write something like that i'd i'd give that a listen that's for sure
1: uh, all right well you know no one's
0: stopping me <laughs> um so just diving into um you're the first transatlantic guest i've had on the podcast um and i just wanted to sort of check in on how the american music scene is coping at the moment with obviously all the lockdowns happening no live shows um is stuff starting to come back at the moment um and have you guys got any plans for touring anytime soon uh
1: you know i mean i am honestly concerned i mean you know i think the u.s is um you know it seems like there are some stop gaps and i I feel like um, if nothing had been done, it would have been way more of a catastrophe. I mean, there's still, you know, there's some clubs that are going out of business that, uh, mm. you know, that were just mainstays that are just gone forever. And it's, you know, that's pretty heartbreaking. Um, uh, Slims in San Francisco closed, and that was a, you know, club we played pretty pretty regularly. You know, once a year we'd play down there, and they were super great people. And anyway, it's just sort of sad to see places shutting their doors. Uh, but... Uh, but yeah, it does seem like we're turning the corner here, and um, we have we have a tour. We're we're putting together a tour for October, uh, a US tour, be the, the full US, a little over a month. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm hoping that'll go well. You know, it's it's indoor venues. It's we're gonna see what the new normal is. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I'm 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 cautiously optimistic.
0: Yeah yeah definitely yeah Yeah, it's it's sad to see um especially the smaller venues fall by the wayside. um so i know you guys played the black heart here here in london and they were very close to the wire for closing they had to do a huge crowdfunder um so it's such such shame i think generally we're all right over here but yeah it's sad to hear around the world, a lot of, uh, famous venues, small by fall by the wayside. So yeah. Yeah.
1: It's It's scary. You know, the same way that, uh, you know, it seems like disasters sort of clear the way for, for corporations to, uh, take what, you know, what was cool and monetize it, you know, I mean, I, I guess it's just probably a terrible analogy, but I, but it makes me think of, you know, when Katrina, the, hurricane hit uh, new orleans and there was it was just a debacle you know i think that there's a lot of local businesses that just couldn't afford to be there anymore and i just feel like you know that big businesses you know scooped up swaths of property and they just basically like oh you can't afford to you know weather this storm like literally yeah. um we're going to you know take advantage of that you know and turn and turn and try to turn new orleans into a disneyland you know i mean i it, it doesn't seem to have been that catastrophic really the music industry, but I, it does worry me that, you know, something like, you know, some big company like clear channel would just absorb a bunch of the small punk clubs, you know, independent yeah. punk clubs, because they can, they have the wherewithal to do so. I mean, I guess that's better than them going away altogether, but um, in any case, uh, uh, I, I feel like our, 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 the federal government has, has done a, a Fairly decent job of at least, you know, keeping keeping you know clubs alive. I mean, certainly not thriving, but uh, keeping them all alive. So I mean, just looking down the list of you know clubs that potentially they were playing, it's a, a lot of the old names are still there, and so that's good. um You know, we're still a band. That's good. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that that that's yeah that's the thing. I'm. It's it's good to see that. Uh... A lot of the venues and bands, like you say, have, c- have come through. Like in the UK, we've had the Music Venue Trust, which is an independent organisation that's certainly bailed a lot of small venues out. And yeah, like you say, it'll be interesting to see the new normal uh, in the coming weeks and months. I know I'm supposed to go to a seated show next week and I'm a bit nervous about it. Considering You're going we've to a what? A seated show. So we're having like indoor seated, oh, uh-huh. socially dist- distant shows. Yeah, And uh, not everyone's been vaccinated here yet. So that will be... Uh, Interesting experience to say the least. Um, Yeah, it's
1: going to be it's going to be very very interesting to see how everybody. I think everyone's going to kind of approach it a different way. But you know, like you know, there's some talk. We're talking about doing a local show, and it's like, well, should we make it where you know, you know, a rapid test? If you don't have proof of being double vaccinated, you you know, in order for you to attend, you need to be subjected to a rapid test. You know, it's like, it's tough. You know, especially in America i think that you know part of the problem is we love our freedom so much and it's like <laughs> i i want to i want to be free to kill old people you know that's kind of a, you know it's like yeah well that's not exactly the kind of freedom i was hoping for but you know there is a, a certain amount of that in this country and and to sort of navigate you know i i don't want to you know tie people down and say you must be vaccinated you know but it's like well do you really want to get sick I, it's really yeah. hard for me to put myself in the mindset of someone and like, i mean i can see and see a distrust in a government but it's like dude it seems like a horrible horrible way to die and and that you're like yeah. nah, i'm it's cool i don't i'm just gonna get that <laughs> disease and you're like oh you want that <laughs> Yeah. That's crazy. But anyway, but but anyway, I think that it's gonna be there'll be some definitely some hiccups along the way. But uh you know, case by case. And you know, I hope by, you know, summer of next year that it it that will be just another thing and it and and it won't be, you know, on the you know, on the on everyone's mind all the time anymore, you know.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, talking about you guys, for example, I, I want the US bands back over here. Like we've just had a, a festival cancelled where like Thrice and Jimmy World were supposed to be headlining and they've had to can that. But yeah, long live uh, live music and uh, next year should hopefully be bright, brighter. But um, yeah, going back to Red Fang and uh, talking about DIY venues, actually I was, again, because you're the first... American band that I've had on the podcast I just wanted to get an idea of what it was like for you starting out as not necessarily Red Fang I know obviously you were in Last of the Juanitas before Um, what it's like touring the US as a small band starting out and how you build that following because in the UK obviously geographically it's very easy to get about but US is such a large swathe of land like how how was it starting out for you all those years ago Uh, And getting going
1: yeah it's not it's not easy i think that um uh i would say that well honestly the the uk and um and america kind of share sort of this was sort of news to me back in the day you know playing playing um uk and and a lot of people in europe like oh you're playing such and such club in london or something and it's like oh that's a really big deal that's like that's like playing, you know, some, some big deal club in New York City or something, and that it really does make a difference as far as people's perception. Um, so uh, in America, it, it's very much uh, you are either an eyesore or you are an icon. That there's not a lot of in-between. So, um, so it is really, it's really hard for, um, you know, I think just, you know, bands just starting out you know, you're lucky to get, you know, three drink tickets and 50 bucks to put in your gas tank. And, and yeah, we've got four time zones. So you're definitely going to burn through that 50 bucks getting from, you know, wherever Albuquerque to Dallas, you know, it's, it's a long haul, you know, 14 hours, or 10 hours or something. So, um, but in the same way, I I feel like, because like, I, I think America and the UK both are aware of the sort of um importance and the influence that they can have globally as far as fans perception that there's like a well yeah you're lucky to be playing our club kind of attitude you know um whereas some other places are are more you know welcoming um so cutting your teeth in america or or the uk you know it's 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 tough it's 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 a grind that's for sure you really have to love it you yeah know? you don't 100%. you don't do it because you want to you know, you're trying to buy a speedboat or something you're, you do it because <laughs> you love it you know
0: yeah yeah definitely i mean yeah i was reading an interview uh, i think you you did a while ago and you, you were talking about how you used to play in front of like two people and that's all too familiar in the diy scene here the amount of shows i go to and you you look at the band and you're like, "What? why are there not more people here? And there's like five people that don't give a fuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those old classic stories. Um, but um, go, now you've been around for, for quite a time. Um, how is it now for you? How has that touring changed for you um, now that you've got such a following? And how, how do you keep that sort of intensity of a live show from a a small club to a larger stage. For example, I I saw you support Mastodon here in London at Brixton Academy, and you're still as amazing on a big stage as you are a small stage. How how have you kept that going over these years and transferring that energy?
1: Well, that's nice of you to say. Um, It is different. You know, I mean, the, I mean, the physical distance between the crowd, um, can be pretty disheartening sometimes. You know, we walk we walk into venues sometimes and they've got the barriers out. Yeah. I'm like, "Come on. <laughs> do we do we need the barriers?" But a lot of times, you know, it's a legal thing. They have to have them. And, you know, I want them up up front, you know. I um, I think that the physical closeness of a crowd, you know, that you've def it's a definitely a feedback loop where people are going crazy, I'm going to go crazier, that kind of thing where where like something like the Brixton um, it sounds amazing, and you know, and what an amazing experience! But yeah, getting the crowd to feel like they're, you know, involved in it, like they're an active part of the show, as much as is a little um, more challenging. But you know, yeah. I mean, I think that's, but that's on, that's on us. You know, you've just got to bring it harder. You know, you you have to ignore the physical differences you know from a from a you know a shoe box to some showbox, box you know
0: um yeah
1: that's your job so but you know but there, it's but like i say it, you know when it when the sound quality is really good you know that the club has invested you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in a sound system that will you know make you evacuate your bowels <laughs> you hit certain notes
0: you know it's like all right well we got that going for us
1: so that's <laughs> good you know
0: yeah yeah, definitely. Definitely. I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. What's what's it like writing a, a set list for you guys now as well? It, it, because you've got such an extensive back catalogue, is is it as easy to write a set list nowadays now that you've got uh, however many albums under your belt? Like, are there, are there still favourites that you, you plug into your set list every single time or do you try and mix it up? Um I would like
1: I would like for us to mix it up more than we do. Occasionally, yeah. um, we will do something drastic, and uh, you know my heart rate increases when I, you know, I think Aaron is the most famous for making insane set lists. Day of, you're like, <laughs> what? What do you do? What? Um, but then, you know, those are the, those are kind of, those are kind of more exhilarating because you really there are certain groupings of songs that we that we kind of go back to because they they go into each other really well and and so you get these little kind of mini chunks that uh that you get comfortable with and i feel like it it makes for a more seamless show and but the thing is you start relying on that then you just feel like you're doing cookie cutter so um so yeah it is difficult and and um i'm a i like our catalog i like our our old songs, you know, so it is picking, you know, what you're going to do from your back catalog versus, you know, what you want to, you know, best foot forward with your new album or whatever. Yeah, definitely. The more albums you have, the trickier it gets. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, on tour, what we kind of do is, is if, if we're playing a set, it's, and say there's a spot that's just not quite working for everyone, it's like, well, what could we yeah. do with that spot? And then we just start taking songs and using them as our sound check and then if and and working them up as we're touring and then say after two sound checks or one really if if it's clicking and, and you know then we'll just start throwing in alternates and so usually our tour on a tour our set will change uh every day or every other day for the first you know week and a half two weeks of a tour and then we'll settle into something that seems to be doing all the things we feel like it should and uh and then sticking to that for the end of the tour but you know i mean and i don't know how many people come to see us over and over again or how many people are you know experiencing us for the first time so that's another question it's like do you put do you put together your most you know well executed set of songs you know that seem to be the you know the crowd favorites and the ones that just kind of vibe with each other or do you do insane new things every night so that you know in case there's a somebody who's been following you around in a <laughs> you know a Volkswagen Bug for the past two weeks they don't get bored?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who
1: knows? I mean, I really don't know. I mean, so we try to we try to imagine that there's a couple of those crazies out there, but yeah, uh, yeah. And so I mean, but it is it it is always a balancing act
0: yeah yeah no i totally agree with that it kind of reminds me when i i used to follow queens of the stone age around a lot when they toured here and they had a period of time where it didn't no matter what night of a tour you saw them they they mixed it up but sometimes you could see that that song didn't click and you were like ah i kind of wish you'd just played song for the dead or whatever but also you've got to keep it fresh for you guys i suppose as well like absolutely and I
1: would think that a band like Queens of Stone Age that has a lot more moving parts in their crew, um, that changing the set list is it become it creates more problems than it would for us.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know,
1: I mean we still roll with, you know, we have a tour manager that also wears another hat as the, you know, merch seller and our front of house. And that's us, you know, it's just the six of us. So if we decide to you know jump the shark with something you know we're going to do all show tunes you know it, it really wouldn't be a problem you know except for the crowd to pay to see us and they don't want to see i don't think they want to see me do hello
0: dolly anytime soon i don't know i don't know just throw it in there for a curveball um sure <laughs> but yeah um, how is yeah how is like do you still um tour on like that minimal setup what is it especially in america i suppose it it's a bit different in the uk when you come over but do you still tour in quite not a small van van but is it still quite a small setup for you guys when you're when you're driving around
1: uh we're still in a 15 passenger econo line um and we get a 12 foot trailer and uh you know we jam it in there you know we have a really small footprint on stage um you know we use we have three 412 cabinets a drum kit so and you know a couple of backup heads a couple of backup guitars and then the rest is t-shirts and records and uh you know we just get uh back you know if, if things are going well and we're selling shirts then we'll get you know shirts or more records dropped to us strategically throughout you know um yeah, in yeah. the u.s but it but we, you know, I mean, forever, we were like, we'll never have a trailer. <laughs> you know, because we didn't want to, because none of us could park the thing. So we're like, fuck that. <laughs> you know, try yeah, try try putting, try having a 12-foot trailer in New York City and putting that anywhere. You yeah. just can't do it. So we're like, no. So we got, you know, roof rockets, you know, those, those things you could put snowboards in on. We had like three of those on our van, which was super sketchy, was super top heavy. I mean... You know we had like 800 pounds of shit way <laughs> above our center of gravity you know we're just driving through windstorms being like well we're gonna die but we don't have a trailer you know um but no that's how we still travel that way i mean it's the only way we could do it you know so uh, you know there we've talked to some bands that tour in buses um that are similar size to us yeah um and you know they're like it's really you know between hotel you know you know not having to pay for hotel rooms it, it really makes this you know it's about the same financially and we just ha- can't see that it's like no if we're going to make this viable we have to be in the van you know and it would probably be that way you know in our 70s we just need to you know strap our our walkers to the roof
0: <laughs> yeah definitely do um do you guys split a lot of the driving between you then uh, or is it like one person they get stuck with like one long drive
1: um yeah it you know it changes we we all try to um to drive as much as possible i i must admit that i've kind of fallen off my my vision isn't as good as it used to be especially my night vision so i really do drive like an octogenarian it's like yeah i'll drive i'll do the night drive but we're gonna be doing 50 miles an hour (laughs) seventy-five because. because there's these mountains and I can't see shit and I don't feel like killing you guys. So, (laughs) you know, um, so, uh, so, yeah, I think like John, John really enjoys driving still. So he kind of takes the lion's share. Um, but yeah, we all, we all put in our time except for David who doesn't have a driver's license. So
0: oh, lucky guy.
1: I, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, but you know, but he's got to take an Uber to band practice. So,
0: you know, whatever. (laughs) Swing some roundabouts. What are some? Uh, what are some of your? Uh, this was a question asked by a friend of mine actually, and he wanted to ask around like pet peeves in the van. Um, so like in the cut it short video, which is obviously one of your funny videos about farting in the van and anything like that. Is uh, has anyone got any particularly bad habits on tour that you really really gets on your nerves? Oh.
1: I mean, I you know we we've been at this so long. I think that's part of the um the our success as far as being able to remain a band is. Um, I think we can read each other really well, so. Yeah. Um, I can see when someone's you know is their their thermometer is heading north and up uh, and give people space. Um, so um, I'm I'm familiar with everyone's kind of um habits whether <laughs> i like them or not but i mean i think we've really done a pretty good job of respecting each other's space you know i mean yeah. every once in a while someone will go on a like like aaron was on this crazy diet for a minute like he got really skinny and he was like working out all the time which is great except that he was eating like like for lunch he would have nothing but salsa like no oh chips God. just salsa and then he would have like salad and salsa all day and it was just making some of the worst parts. I just, I mean, it was like making your eyes water so bad. I was like, all right, I get it that you're getting <laughs> physically fit and that's great. But I think I might die if you keep <laughs> this up because it, because it was just so acrid and so often, you know. So, but, but I mean, I could still see the humor in it, you know. I mean, once I'm out of the van, I could see the humor in it. <laughs> but but i'm sure i do something that's drives people up the wall is you know yeah yeah. but but like i say i mean you know we've been we've been in this band for you know 15 years and so so i know the guys well enough it's like sure they irritate me but 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 i love them so i take the good with the bad you know
0: yeah yeah you travel as a unit and uh yeah, you've got to cope with that. As long as there's no, uh, like, egg sandwiches in the van. I know that's a, that's a big no-no, especially with a couple of bands I know where they've been caught out by a, a rogue m- band member with smelly food in the van. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, just before we get on to the, the last bit around favourite shows that you've played and you've been to, um, obviously wanted to talk a, a bit around the new album, Arrows, which is fantastic, by the way. I've had it for couple of weeks now and been spinning it constantly oh um, right on thanks that's that's all right um i suppose uh, it goes it goes back to that question of you've got a uh, very extensive back catalogue and it's all it's all fantastic i mean i was obsessed with only ghosts your last record which i i personally think is one of my favorites but how did you uh, approach arrows is it to keep things fresh for yourself um was there any new sort of elements you brought in with the new album or how, how again how did you try and keep it interesting for yourselves and creative
1: uh i you know i think uh um, you know we're getting to be older and i feel like our you know we're getting a little more rigid um in our in our taste and and personalities uh so it does it, it, it feels a little bit less natural to write songs um you know and and not get in each other's way as far as you know our our particular tastes or whatever but um on this record i i I, we had some really great uh, moments uh for me that i felt like oh you know sort of break was like new life into the band and uh there there's uh the song uh oh what's it called um my disaster, you know, that, you know, we are so painstaking a lot of times in our songwriting. It's, you know, we'll argue about a, about whether, uh, you know, an, a passing note that occurs that it, it literally takes 0.1 of a second of a song and it's an issue, you know? Yes. And, and I, I wouldn't have it any other way, honestly, because, because I, you know, we care about our songs. We want them to be right. And if, and if that passing notes bugging, somebody will throw all the other, 11 notes in there and see which one works, you know, but, um, but, uh, but like that song, I think between, you know, Aaron came up with that bass line, and I think we all learned it in practice at the end of a practice took about 10 minutes and then kind of, and then maybe a couple of weeks later, we went to the studio, it was like, we should record that. And yeah. then we track, we tracked it. That took, you know, getting the basic tracks down that took about 10 minutes. And then we we're like, well, it needs lyrics, and so I sat down, and that was about ten or fifteen minutes. And I tracked those, took about five minutes. So all in all, from the time that the that the first inkling of that song happened, cumulatively, we probably spent forty five minutes making that song happen. And I and I couldn't be prouder of it. You know, it's got that. It just has just this, this relaxedness to it, and I and I'm hoping to channel that more. Um, in you know future songwriting, because I, I feel like you're not always serving yourself by by rolling yourself over the coals, you know. Yeah. And then their song, there's a, a, a days collide, was a song that was, um, you know, I was just I don't know what some kind of melancholy mood, and I just played this little sort of sad, you know, three note uh, guitar part, and sort of was humming along to it. And I brought, uh, I brought that to the band and, and, and I, you know, entrusted them that I was, that I had nothing, but I was like, well, here's this bit of nothing. And, (laughs) and we, you know, we got together and, and just kind of let, just let it see where it went. And I, and I'm really proud of that. It, It ended up having a lot more to it and, um, a lot more impact than I thought it was, um, uh, so there, you know, we, I guess we still trust each other and, um, and, and, and ideas like that, that would not have been the kernel of a Red Bang song, you know, 10 years ago, certainly. Yeah. So, so it's exciting that, yeah, we are allowing ourselves to do new shit, you know? And, and I, and I think if you're not allowing yourself to do new shit, then, you know, you maybe start a new band because, you know, what's the point in rehashing old ideas, you know?
0: yeah 100 percent, and i i totally agree with that actually like listening to i a b them earlier like only ghosts and arrows and you saying that there's um more like a relaxed feel to arrows you can definitely hear that actually only ghosts is great it's i absolutely adore that album but it, it is definitely a different feel and there's yeah arrows is very much more chill i suppose in a way there's there's definitely a different uh, rhythm to it i can i can hear for sure but yeah it's it's good to good to hear that that's uh um that's how you're approaching it and sort of giving yourself that space for sure
1: yeah i mean those were- you know those recording processes were totally different you know i mean working with okay. with ross versus with uh chris you know those totally different recording styles totally different producers you know Um, But that's kind of the cool thing about, you know, going into studios because you are you are inviting another person into your musical world. And and, you know, the album is a reflection of their perspective on what you're doing as well. And and that's cool, because, like you say, you know, we do a bunch of infighting about a single fucking note. You know, (laughs) Um, you get somebody, you know, you get a fifth person in there and they're like, all right, you guys, shut up. It doesn't matter. Just play this note. (laughs) Are you go, okay? Great.
0: We really we really needed someone to say that. You know. Yeah, yeah. Have yeah, have it it's having the uh, almost like the team manager come in and just uh arrange you guys a little bit better. Um yeah, so yeah, if
1: someone's being just totally out of hand, we're so, you know, we're so subjective with each other that, you know, it's having someone just look at us and go, "Alright, you knuckleheads." <laughs> you're you're fighting about nothing
0: moving <laughs> on you're like okay you're right you're right <laughs> yeah definitely well yeah uh, all all i have to say is like arrows is fantastic and uh, yeah i can't wait for people to hear it um yeah it's it's absolutely amazing um so yeah well going into the the last part of the podcast and my favorite part is talking about top shows ever played and top shows ever been to as a fan so we'll kick it off with um what's three of the top shows you've ever played and i mean again going back to like playing with mastodon you've played with like Dillinger escape plan torsh and a gazillion others um yeah what's some of the top shows you've ever played um well i mean
1: i've talked about uh opening for for the melvins i mean i've talked about this show a lot but it, it really did mean a lot to me you know we started the band in 2005, I think it was New Year's Eve, 2005. <clears throat> and uh, and that was in a, you know, in the basement where we practiced, we had, you know, we got the keg, maybe. And, uh, you know, just had a New Year's Eve party for, I don't know, 40 or 50 people. And, um, and then a year later, we were playing, you know, a, a fairly big venue here in Portland opening for the Melvins. And uh, I am a huge fan of the Melvins. So, um i think that that was big for me because i you know just being sharing the stage with them was was a big moment but also just to as a benchmark that it's like we've been a band for a year and we went from you know playing to the to the whatever the cockroaches in the basement to playing you know this big fancy show in one year that's you know that says a lot about the band and you know what we we've done so far um uh let's see um and then as far as benchmark things i i w- opening for uh slayer in um oh, oh wow. where was it um uh, it, it was in Porto alegre um we were doing a um a, a festival tour in south america Uh uh can't remember the name of the festival oh my
0: god that's a dark <laughs> thing. that's all right <laughs>
1: I honestly can't remember right now. Shit. Well, in any case, well, at, they were too. anyway. There was a fill day. Yeah. Um, they were playing Porto Alegre, and um, they invited us to 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 uh, open for them. And uh, I gotta tell you, you know, I was really nervous because as a kid, <laughs> you know, I saw I saw Slayer in 1988, I think. Oh wow. In, in Tucson, and. I can't remember the, the band who it was. it was. It wasn't Blossom and Jetson, but it was some, some metal band of some note, locally yeah. anyway, in Arizona. And the crowd uh, just chanted Slayer throughout their set so loud oh my that they gosh. cut their set short. And I was like, oh my God, this crowd these aren't metal fans. These are Slayer fans. They are, they're going to, they're going to eat you for lunch. This is, you know what I mean? Seriously. I was like, they yeah. are going to hate us. This is going to be a nightmare, you know? So I had, you know, and that was, you know, I played probably at that point, i probably played 800 shows. And yet yeah, yeah. here I was like, Oh God, what are we going to do? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but that was great. It, it worked. The, the crowd didn't chant Slayer over <laughs> us. They, they, they applauded when they were supposed to, I guess, uh, you know. Um, so I was like, man, if we, you know, if we can survive a Slayer crowd, we're,
0: we're doing okay. We can okay. take over the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, we, we opened for the Foo Fighters a couple of times. And, you know, the, I mean, Arena crowd, you know, sold out Arena. And somehow that wasn't as intimidating as opening oh, wow. for a Slayer crowd. I mean i knew that i mean i guess just knowing that the most of the people were there to see food fighters and we were an impediment to seeing the food
0: fighters
1: (laughs) i'm like i know that you know i I, so i went out kind of being like all right i'm gonna win some of you over but most of you are going to be you know running for the you know for the hot dog stand or whatever i get it you know so so i guess the but but winning over a slayer crowd that really was important to me so yeah um uh, and uh, let's see and i guess um you know a third show i don't i don't know i i I, this is awful i can't really um remember all we played a couple of shows with comedians but uh yeah um we did a show in in portland maybe in 2000 16 something like that and one of the funnest shows I've ever played it's because i was in the audience at a comedy show i was laughing my ass off i was like this is fantastic and i was like well, we got a tour with comedy you know i mean i don't i mean the crowd was really receptive they they seem to really have a good time too um, yeah but i but i just love the idea it's not like okay well red fangs touring so now it's going to be X, Y, and Z bands that make sense in that demographic and da da da. You know, I mean I, I really like um shows that are you know that mix mix up what is expected, you know. Yeah, like yeah especially definitely. Espe- especially in America, you know, festivals are never like wacky gazo whatever fest. <laughs> it's like, no, this specific crap fest over and over again. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, which is fine, but not, but I just feel like um, you know, in uh, over in Europe, uh, it just it, it feels like people are way more open-minded. You can, people are interested in seeing, you know, Slipknot and Bjork in the same day, and they will enjoy both of those things. Where eh, you don't really see that over here. So, um, yeah, yeah, but in yeah. case, just in general, I, I and and yeah, I just think I think that's fantastic and and broadening people's minds. We've toured with some bands that, on paper, didn't make any damn sense for us to be touring with them, but. It works. It's like, I, I feel like, I mean, it's not my job to expand people's minds or anything. And it's sort yeah. of egotistical to think that I could do that. But, <laughs> but it's like, we are bring you know, you want to bring a show and it's like, you don't, you know, it's like, you know, you'll know be good with pizza, more pizza.
0: Well, no. Nah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I love pizza, but maybe let's throw a salad in there.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. Like, um I'm just thinking of one off the top of my head um there's a band called Ithaca who are like hardcore band and they played with uh, a band called Big Thief and Big Thief are like completely different like really chilled out uh almost acoustic-y kind of thing and when, when those two got announced as a tour it was like this isn't gonna work and then uh yeah that show Potentially one of the weirdest shows, um, and a lot of people didn't get it. But for some people, it worked, and they probably won over a few people. Um, so going into the the last bit, uh, top three shows as a fan. What uh, I, I mean, you, I know you've mentioned the Melvins already. I know you're a big fan of like Drive Like Jehu and Big Business. But what what are some of the top three shows that you've uh, just seen as a fan rather than played? Um, well, I think the, the, the first big concert I ever went
1: to was, um, at the time I was really irritated, but I, I, my brother went to go see ZZ Top and, oh, wow. uh, they were anyway, I was apparently too young. I was like 11. So they thought, Oh, this rock and roll band. We're not going to have you go see that. like, come on, whatever. Anyway. So, um, but my friend's parents took me to see Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers and the Oak Ridge boys. Oh, wow. And, uh, at the time, I was like, oh, man, you know, I, I don't, this isn't ZZ Top, but, um, but looking back on it, just, it was so beautiful. It was a concert in the round and um, just everyone was so good. Uh, you know, there were Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers, there was just flowers being thrown on the stage the whole time. It was such a different experience um, than, you know, a rock concert. Um, anyway, that, that will always stick in my mind, probably one of my favorites. Concert experiences, um, even and it and I remember even then being won over by it, even though yeah. I was just you know just like a shitty kid just grumbling like can't believe, stupid Oakridge boys, stupid <laughs> country music and then I you know but I, it, but it was it was really fantastic. Um, uh, let's see, I, you know, and I and I think as far as um, you know shows that that kind of formed me musically i you know i remember seeing um there were a couple of local punk bands i think the first scene you know, of punk shows i saw were local bands in tucson arizona yeah and uh, you know a lot of times they'd be in these backyard these backyard parties and you know nobody had a lawn in tucson because it you know you just weren't gonna water to have a lawn so it's just so basically your your lawn was dirt yeah and uh you know and then the 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 slam dancing would start, and so you could tell where the party was from blocks away because there would be this column of dust flying up, and uh, I just remember just being so excited. You know, it was like civil disorder and opinion zero and blood spasm, you know, and just the raw energy, and I really, you know, I was a young kid then, you know, I was probably 14 or something, um, just trying drugs for the first time and just feeling like, oh, they're gonna know i don't belong here i'm gonna get mur- <laughs> you know i'm gonna get murdered at this party or something you know it was just so dangerous and so exciting um and i just and i think that that has stuck with me that you know now, now being on the other side of you know being in bands all these years it is it, it's not as um dramatic as all that <laughs> you know yeah I mean? but um but but just that feeling i had just like you know the butterflies in my stomach is like this is really dangerous this is visceral you know and um and to if i can create that kind of feeling for someone else man i i i don't know if i ever will but that's you know that's what i shoot for you know
0: yeah definitely
1: yeah um and then and then seeing rammstein i mean Holy shit! Oh I mean, wow! Have you seen yeah, yeah, that's
0: <laughs> that's that's, oh, that's. lord. That's an experience. Yeah, you could even if you're a mile away. You, you talk about like the dust bowls. It, you can feel the flame throwers from like a mile away. Like
1: oh yeah, you feel like your your eyebrows are getting singed off. And the thing is, it's fifty yards away, and it's coming <laughs> off of their faces, like literally flame throwers shooting out of their faces. How that's even possible. I don't know. And that shit happens in the second song. So crazy. <laughs> I I just I just I can't believe I mean I'm sure they're very offensive. You know, we we you know I don't speak German. But uh <laughs> we we saw them a couple of times and so we were watching it with our driver who's German. And um we're like, well what's he saying now? And uh anyway, nothing he really said was you know, for the kids, it was yeah, uh, yeah, like yeah. he's saying what? You know what <laughs> I mean? Woo. It's kind of they're kind of like the like a like uh, like the Blue Man Group on steroids for adults. You know, it's like oh my god, it's it's crazy. It's like S and M Looney Tunes. I their their show. I don't know if anybody can beat them.
0: No, hands down, hands down. And also, I'm using that as the preview clip for the the podcast. Uh, <laughs> S- S&M, steroids, all sounds good. Um, well, th- thank you so much for chatting. I do have one final question. It's a bit of a, a joke curveball question. Um, so obviously in your uh, new video, Arrows, uh, you guys brought out the katana, which I found very entertaining and very hilarious where you chop up various things but what's one thing in real life uh outside of that video or one person that you would chop with a katana
1: oh my god well nobody <laughs>
0: there's, I mean there's, there's no one you hate enough that you would chop with i mean a katana. you mean like if i could if i could get away with it yeah oh yeah 100 yeah, percent. well
1: i get you know the gimme is hitler
0: you
1: know <laughs> I, if i could chop hitler's head off i would have you know i mean sure I mean that you, you, people remember my name, I guess, Ah, the guy <laughs> killed Hitler. Ah, he, he, he wasn't the coolest guy, but he did kill Hitler. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, if, if we had endless, you know, finances, I probably would have chopped up all kinds of stuff. You know I mean? We chopped up as, as much as we could. Um, but, uh, You know, I'm no swordsman, so I'm not even sure how effective it would be. Honestly, shooting that video, I was like, uh, am I going to even be able to hit that thing with the sword? (laughs) I mean, that that would be what would happen to me, is I would try to chop off Hitler's head and I would miss completely. (laughs) That's what would happen. I would go back in time, go back in time, you know, get a hotel and, you know, just basically throw my whole life away and then miss. That's what would happen.
0: And then you'd be the guy that missed Hitler with a katana. Exactly. Well, that is, I think, the perfect place to end the podcast. Brian, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you and meeting you. Um, and the, the talking about live music, uh, especially in the US, has been great. Um, where can people pick up your album from? Ah, that's
1: a gotcha question. I, uh... <laughs> I mean, Relapse is selling it, I know that. Um, you can, I think you can get it anywhere you buy
0: music. Yeah. I'll, yeah, d- it's uh, <laughs> <generic>? a <laughs> <laughs> I'll put some. Li- I'll put some links in the post anyway. Um, but yeah, thanks, Brian, so much for coming on and spending some time today. Enjoy the rest of your day. And yeah, can't wait to see you in the UK soon, man. Well, right on, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Bye.